Hello, my friends, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Couch Rotato Podcast. On today's show, Adam and I are going to talk about an underappreciated classic from one of the greatest movie years of all time, 1999. That's right. We're going to talk about Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. So, after the trailer, the Couch Rotato Podcast presents to you The Mummy. This man was buried alive, and he left a message. What's it say? Death is only the beginning. On May 7th... You must not read from the book! What? The impossible will come true. Has begun the beginning of the end. And the unimaginable will walk the earth. The Mummy. He's here. Rated PG-13. All right, joined by producer Adam. Adam, how's it going, my friend? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. How about you? A uh, bit of a salty mood. Just got done watching uh, my beloved Dallas Cowboys get the shit kicked out of them in the playoffs. The circle continues. We're led to believe year in and year out, this is our year, only to be let down in January. So a little bit uh, irate this evening, a little salty, but uh, I think... You and I talking about a forgotten gem from 1999, I think is going to really help turn the tide. I think so. And uh, when you suggested this movie last week, I completely forgot about it. Because in the year 1999, I think, as as well as you, that uh, 1999 is one of the best film years of all time. So many classic movies came out of this year. And this one kind of got forgotten about. I think it has a lot to do with when it was released, but we're mm-hmm. talking about 1999's The Mummy today. Excellent movie. Yeah, I forgot how much I liked this movie until I watched it the other day. I I had seen it, shit, six or seven years, I think. It yeah. used to be on TV all the time. I mean, you could always count on The Mummy or The Mummy Returns being on TNT or TBS. Right. And they don't really seem to air it as much anymore. But man, rewatching this a couple of days ago, what a fun, fun movie. Yeah, it's one of those uh, genres that you don't uh, really see a lot of anymore. Well, you do, but you don't get the same kind of uh, vibe or the same kind of feel from them as being fun adventure movies. You get more, uh, more of like an uncharted kind of movie uh, nowadays. More yeah. action paint. Uncharted, a movie that we will not be doing on this show. (laughs) Right. That's a one time and done movie for me, but yeah, they, they really don't make movies like this anymore. uh, Unless it's under the Indiana Jones moniker, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. this is, uh, this movie kind of reminds me a lot of what Indiana Jones used to be. Yeah. I agree. Has a lot of that same spirit, just a fun a lot of really exotic set pieces, a very charismatic hero, uh, an awesome female lead, uh, at least from Raiders, uh, Marion Underwood, one of the best yeah. action female heroines of all time, I think, anyways, uh, which I think we went into a little bit of detail in on uh, our Raiders of Lost Ark episode, which you can listen to wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple. You know the drill. Cheap plug of the Love episode. The yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, this really gives off the uh, the Indiana Jones vibes to me, though, and I think that's why I gravitated towards it so much. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people forget about it, though, just because 1999 so loaded, and this movie actually came out a couple of weeks before Star Wars Episode One. Right. Yeah, and it probably gets eclipsed by Episode One, even though. Um, and I'm gonna uh, anger some Star Wars listeners here, but this movie's better than Phantom Menace. <laughs> well, I remember seeing, I seen, um, I used to read, uh, magazines a lot. I would go into like a store and I never really bought a lot of magazines, but I would always spend a, enough time in the magazine section where if I seen like a cover that looked cool, I would, uh, I would check it out and I was reading through an entertainment weekly and they had talked about this movie coming out. They were doing this re remake reimagining of the mummy i'm like okay it might be kind of cool might be kind of stupid whatever and then i remember i think they ran an ad for it during the super bowl of that year and i'm like okay that might that might be kind of cool and i like we said it kind of reminded me of indiana jones a little bit yeah so start seeing more and more as it got closer to the release date i'm like you know what fuck it i'm in i'm gonna go check it out loved it but it's kind of one of those movies like okay the mummy, cool, got it out of the way. Now I'm just waiting for Star Wars. So, um, went and seen Star Wars Episode One. I had me and my buddy camped out for it, and we were probably up. I don't know, maybe. I think a good 36 hours when that movie started. So we were kind of we were super sleep deprived, and we didn't like it. So we just like you know what, fuck it, we'll go. Vi- Watch it again in a couple days. We went and watched it again the Saturday after it come out. Still didn't like it. And I remember it being a very shitty Saturday afternoon. So my buddy and I, a lot of times what we would do is we would pay to see one movie and then we'd go watch like two or three after that. So I looked at my buddy. I was like, fuck it, dude. Let's go watch The Mummy again. It's a good one. I mean, um, I mean, it's it's worth watching again and again. I uh, generally don't have a lot of movies that I go back to, or um, I have a lot of them that I own. But I'll I'll stare at my uh, at my movie wall or my movie library, and I'll I'll look at movies for probably longer than I actually watch a movie. Like, mm-hmm. what what do I want to watch? And um, I'll see this one, and I'll uh, I'll I'll highly consider it every single time. Um, anytime it's on TV, I'll watch it. Uh, I haven't seen it for quite some time, um, probably a year or so before I watched it, uh, earlier this week. And, um, it's, uh, it's still just as good every time, even though I know what happens, I know the story. It's so, so good just because it's one of those, um, movies that happens in between the era of, uh, uh, everything going CG and still kind of that classic Hollywood practical effects kind of thing. Mm. And it's it's one of those um, blockbuster action movie, uh, adventure movies, uh, set pieces and and uh, um, just design and cinematography. And even the even the score is great. And, uh, um, scored by Jerry Goldsmith at that. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just one of those uh, movies that um stands the test of time even if like all the effects aren't great in it um 
they still have those practical effects in there. So it's more grounded in realistic effects and you can kind of look past the, the lighting flaws on like, you know, the mummy thing or, um, sometimes you'll, you'll get, um, some different effects that look too granular, like when they do the sand, but, um, still holds up, I think. Yeah. I noticed that some of the CGI was a little dated watching it in 4k, I think when you watch it on like DVD or even Blu-ray, it's kind of hidden a little better. But when you watch it in 4K, kind of exposes some of that stuff a little more. But I mean, yeah. that's that's being very, that's almost like trying to find something to bitch about with this movie. You know, like yeah. I I I fucking love it. I think since uh, Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade come out, I think they've tried to make an Indiana Jones style movie numerous times throughout the years. I mean, you go from like the mummy national treasure has some Indiana Jones vibes, but I think the two movies that have gotten it close were the mummy. And then the first pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which we also uh, did an episode on not too long ago. Listen to it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Second cheap plug of the day. (laughs) Love it. But I think what makes this movie work so well too is the fact that I think it kind of blends. It's a horror movie and an action movie because there's some kind of like very horror-esque elements to The Mummy. And a lot of movies that try to blend two styles, whether it's like an action comedy or like a horror action, like they kind of tend to go heavier towards one genre. But this one kind of blends both of them in really well. And I think that um, uh, the horror elements that they add to it um, are really classic. Um, the way that the movie shot, um, the uh, the darkness of the the set pieces, um, and just kind of the mystique of the the villain, I think, is really horror esque. Because uh, in in horror movies, you, you get you get a villain that's um, like cool but in a scary kind of way kind of like you know michael myers is is kind of he has a mystique about him and i think that's uh what they do really well in this is they build up that um that antagonist as a really good antagonist they give him a lot of um you know uh not really backstory uh th- this guy does have backstory but um it's not the important part uh in in terms of it being horror movie but um they give him a lot of uh gravitas i guess is a good word for it um the way that the uh, protagonists talk about him is like they're scared of him like even the tough guys are scared of him and, and i think that's pretty cool yeah i think what works best for this movie though is i think uh brendan fraser it, like kills it as rick o'connellness like mm-hmm. he doesn't take it too seriously kind of does a lot of it tongue in cheek and I think that's what works well for this movie because I think if somebody tries to do it too seriously, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is uh, Rachel White's first big American movie. And I think the two mm-hmm. of them, like the chemistry that they have, is what carries this movie. Yeah, yeah they're both. Um, uh, I think they're both probably uh, the best actors in the entire movie. Um, but they got a great supporting cast too, but, um, they're, they're probably, 
my favorites. And that's good for, you know, your star characters to have that kind of effect on you is like, yeah, I'd watch another, you know, two hours of these people because I really like them both. Well, yeah, um, even going I, back to the, sorry, let me cut you off. Uh, oh, I just want to, before uh, I lose this thought, uh, Frazier and White's kind of that same vibe that Harrison Ford, Karen Allen did in Raiders. Going yeah, back to yeah. that. Yeah, I was actually going to say that uh, previously when you were talking about Indiana Jones. was like, yeah, Rachel Weiss actually has that kind of, she's not helpless. Like uh, the uh, um, action movie, the action adventure movies of old, like, you know, um, King Kong and uh, a few other ones, uh, they always have the damsel in distress. And um, Indiana Jones kind of plays into that uh, same kind of um, thing uh, because it's based off of movies of that era. But the the damsel is not in distress. The damsel actually, you know, has thoughts and feelings and um, is really smart, sometimes smarter than the, the men. Um, and they can hold their own. And I think Karen Allen did that great in Indiana Jones. And, and Rachel Weiss does that great in, in the, uh, the Mummy. She knows way more than the Egyptologist does in this. And, you know, it shows. They, it's almost like they took the Indiana Jones character and they they gave half of uh, the attributes to the Evie character, and they gave half of them to the Rick character. Rick is kind of like the the muscle and the brawn, and then Evie is the smarts. And like together, they make a pretty impeccable yeah. team. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, yeah, it's just it's hard to believe that. I think that they wanted, from what I read in the research, this isn't anything that I have in my uh, did you know section, but. I remember they were looking for an American actress from what I read and they couldn't find anybody. And she basically just won them over in her audition. Yeah, I think they did well of uh, including a lot of British um, actors in this uh, specifically because the, the time period it's set in, in the, in the twenties in uh, Cairo. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was uh, uh, imperialized by the British at that time. So it makes more sense that there would be some British people in there. And um, while there are a few Americans, I think it's hilarious how they, uh, how they depict the Americans, by the way, it's <laughs> just like a bunch of uh, hoop and holler and uh, gunsling and cowboys. Yeah. They're a um, bunch of meatheads. <laughs> but uh, I think that they did a really good job of balancing, um, you know, the characters and where they came from for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, uh, Rachel White's not being in the third Mummy movie is why that one is probably the weakest of the in the entries, at least yeah, from the it's main. The big yeah, does that mean? Yeah, I think it's the big one that doesn't do well, but there's some other things in that movie that like, kind of you know make it not as great. Yeah, I've I've seen it once, and once was enough. Yeah. Um. Hey, you ready to knock out some of these categories? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, in case you have not seen The Mummy, which came out 25 years ago in May. I don't know what you're waiting for. It's readily available anywhere. But in case you're wondering what the fuck is The Mummy about, The Mummy is inspired by the timeless 1932 Universal Horror film. This breathtaking journey unearths a 3,000-year-old legacy of terror. Following two explorers, played by Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weitz, as a search for a long-lost treasure in the sun-baked Egyptian desert. And uh, in case you're wondering, I pulled that 
directly from the Amazon Prime description of this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Uh, Tale of the Tape. This was released on May the 7th, 1999. Stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weitz, John Hanna, Arnold Vosloo. You know what? Uh, revisiting with the, the Woo or the Lou. We got to come up with a nickname for him. Uh, we recently did Hard Target, and he was uh, a villain in that, too. It's going to be the Vaz, because it's like the Vons. Yeah, the Vaz. Yeah, let's call him the Vaz. Uh, and Kevin J. O'Connor, directed by Steven Summers, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 60% from critics and 75% from audiences. The consensus was... It's difficult to make a persuasive argument for the mummy as any kind of meaningful cinematic achievement, but it's undeniably fun to watch, which that pretty much sums it up perfectly. Yeah. I, I don't think it's like a, a gorgeous piece of cinema, but uh, it is a gorgeous piece of cinema in my book, but it's not like, uh, it's not know. Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, box so office. Funny. $80 million budget grossed $416 million. I think it was the seventh highest grossing movie of 1999. Not bad. Uh, didn't win any awards, and you can stream this on Hulu. So for all you Hulu okay. uh, subscribers out there, as soon as you get done listening to this, or if you want to watch the movie, then come back and check us out by all means, but you can watch the movie on Hulu. I think the sequel's on there too. But you can stay away from that one if you want. You can listen to this first and then go to the sequel. Right, yeah. Watch watch The Mummy or listen to us first, then go watch The Mummy. And if you want to do a double feature, do The Mummy Returns. And uh, speaking of that, that leads us right into perfect segue, Adam. Uh, the Did You Know portion of the show. These are some facts and tidbits on the behind-the-scenes making of The Mummy. Um this movie spawned two sequels, uh, The Mummy Returns, which came out in 2001, and The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor in 2008. Uh, also spawned a prequel, The Scorpion King, which was The Rock's first big starring role, which, of course, now The Rock, mm-hmm. Dwayne Johnson, is uh, arguably one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, if not the biggest. He's got to be right up there, Tom Cruise, I think. And speaking of Tom Cruise, uh, they also did a reboot film in 2017, which did you ever see the mummy with him? Um, no, I, I decided to skip that one because I heard it was awful. Um, being a Tom Cruise fan, he usually does not let me down. That one's pretty bad. Which is why we haven't seen another Universal Monster movie, I think, in a while. Well, they they actually they did they did the Invisible Man with um, oh did they? Yeah, Elizabeth Moss, which that one's really really good. They must have fallen under my radar. I don't remember hearing about them. It came out right before the pandemic. Because okay. I I remember uh, my wife and I went and seen it on a Friday and then on Sunday, everything fucking shut down. Yeah. I mean, like literally like we went to the movies on Friday and then like by Sunday it's like, Nope, no more movies for you guys. Um, Yeah. Um, They also discussed a fourth movie uh, featuring Antonio Banderas, 
was going to play uh, a mummy, I believe, was supposed to take place uh, in South America, and it revolved around Aztec, the Aztec culture. And I did know this. They did an animated movie or cartoon series too. I didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah, I remember it, but I've never watched it. Yeah, did not know that. Uh, for the role of Rick O'Connell, uh, Tom Cruise, which is funny because he ended up doing the remake in seventeen. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck, and Sylvester Stallone all circled this project at one point. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I found this to be very fascinating. Um, apparently, producers offered the role to Leonardo DiCaprio, which mm-hmm. DiCaprio, I guess, really loved the script and wanted to do it, but he was doing The Beach at the time, which was his first film mm-hmm. after Titanic. And he tried to get producers to push back shooting so he could do both of them, and they sh- turned him down. So he had to pass on it. I think they, uh, I don't know that. I don't think, uh, uh, DiCaprio would have been very good as Rick O'Connell. Right. I, uh, Leo doesn't steer you wrong. Leo is about as money as it gets when it comes to acting, but I just don't think he would fit in this. I think. Blood Diamond might have been his version of the mummy later on, except in a more serious tone. Brendan Fraser was cast due to the success of George of the Jungle a couple of years earlier. Stephen Summers commented that he felt Fraser had that Errol Flynn swashbuckling characteristic that he envisioned for the character. He said that the actor understood that his character doesn't take himself too seriously. Otherwise, the audience can't go on that journey with him. Yeah. Which I think yeah, is what makes him work. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's definitely relatable. Um, I didn't know this uh, when I was researching this. This was actually sound like they were going to make it a horror remake originally. Um. George Romero and Clive Barker were attached to direct it at one point. Uh, Apparently Clive Barker's version was going to be a violent low budget movie revolving around a contemporary art museum that turns out to be a cult that tries to reanimate mummies. I think what we got is a little better. And then George Romero's vision was more of a zombie style horror movie, similar to night of the living dead, but his version was considered too scary. I think they struck a good balance with this one, but I could I could definitely watch a more uh, scary horror esque uh, mummy. But the uh, the mummy that they're trying to uh, um, emulate is Boris Karloff's mummy, which had a little bit more uh, you know storytelling in it than just a regular horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now this one was really odd; came out of nowhere. Um, Joe Dante, director of Gremlins, The Burbs. Uh the then he do the he did the howling too. If I'm not, yeah, he did the howling. Um he had a version which would have cast Daniel Day Lewis as the mummy. I don't know how I would uh how I would like that. <laughs> Apparently this was uh set contemporary times and focused on reincarnation with elements of a love story. It came close to being made with some elements like the flesh-eating scarabs, which ended up being in the final product. 
But at that point, the studio wanted a film with a budget of $15 million and rejected Joe Dante's vision. Which, uh, yeah, the $15 million budget went out the window because, as we said, it was close to 80. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, the uh, scenes in Egypt were actually shot in Marrakech, Morocco. I hope I pronounced that right. Sorry for our Moroccan fans if I screwed it up, but it wouldn't be an episode of this show if we didn't screw up some pronunciation. Um, I guess they couldn't shoot in Egypt because of unstable political conditions. And the uh, the Moroccan army, I guess, offered their full support of the production, and the cast and crew had kidnapping insurance placed on them in the event of something going south. That's kind of scary. Yeah, I guess I was reading too. Uh, the director Stephen Summers didn't even tell anybody he had done that until after they were done shooting the movie. Well, I would be mad and want more money. Well, they probably got it in the sequel. Yeah. Hey, this movie does well. We'll get you. We'll get you on the back end. Um, did you know that Brendan Fraser almost died during the making of this movie? Um, I've heard several different stories of him almost dying during all of the mummy movies because he had such a bad track record of doing his own stunts and getting hurt. But I have not heard anything specifically on the first mummy. Well, the hanging scene, uh, he Mm -hmm. almost, uh, I guess apparently that went south and he got strangled and he was unconscious for 18 seconds. Well, you know, that's what hanging does. It was very realistic. Yeah. Uh, he said he had to be, uh, they said he had to be revived after being unconscious for 18 seconds. And I guess, uh, Rachel White's described the, uh, scene as very horrifying. Well, I would imagine so. Uh, last one I got, that would have been, uh, a kink in it. We would have been talking about the, uh, what was that? Um, uh, shutter has a show. Where they talk about like movie set deaths. They did one about um Brandon Lee and the Crow. They did one on uh the uh, amazing stories where Vic Morrow gets his head cut off. Mm-hmm. Oh, this would have been featured on that did too. They, did they ever be the one about the uh, the person from the Lollipop Guild? Uh, uh, you know, allegedly uh, getting hung in the background of uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. You know, I don't know if they did that one or not. Um, I only know of the Amazing Stories one and the uh, the Crow one, but uh, as soon as we get done recording this, I'm going to go look it up, see what other ones they did. Because I, w- I wanted to check it out, and I never did. It's called Cursed Films. Oh, there's probably a ton. Oh, I'm sure. Especially, especially if you give Alec Baldwin a gun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done with the dark humor. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, if you plan on suing the show trust me there's nothing to sue us over we have nothing (laughs) just skip right past it second second episode in a row uh, did we make a reference to the Ariel Castro a few weeks ago we did yeah okay Um, last one I got is uh, the Rachel White's character Evelyn is based on a real life person Lady Evelyn Herbert or Herbert, I don't know how it's pronounced. I'm just going to go Herbert. 
daughter of George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnivon. Uh, the Earl funded the expedition of Howard Carter, who most of you history buffs know is the uh, archaeologist that discovered uh, the tomb of King Tut. And I guess his daughter Evelyn was uh, there with Howard Carter when he found the tomb. We would not have uh, um, the uh, great song King Tut uh, as sung by Steve Martin. Oh, dude, I was <laughs> the minute I like King Tut like left my mouth, like that song started playing in my head, and like then after that, the the video skit played in my head too. Perfect. Also, if you watch this movie, listen to this episode, search it on YouTube. It's fantastic. It's it's probably one of the best 70s Saturday Night Live skits that there is. Maybe uh, maybe we'll end the show with the King Tut song. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, that's all I got. Did you have any cool facts you wanted to contribute? Well, thank you. Um, as uh, as per usual, uh, a couple of minor goofs. Um, uh, I do know that uh, uh, as many uh, people that are fans of this movie will will know, and you've also mentioned um, that he got into trouble uh, for some of it. Um, Brendan Fraser did all of his stunts for this movie, um, and uh, for the uh, second movie and third movie as well. He got hurt uh, quite a bit, um, and getting hurt on the last Mummy movie, uh, I, I believe you heard it back, uh, what I remember correctly, um, contributed to a lot of his, uh, you know, not being in uh, as many movies afterwards. Um, took him a while to heal. Um, another uh, cool fact is that um, uh, they mention that... Um, Guard, the cats are guardians of the underworld and history buffs that watch this movie will know that cats are not the guardians of the underworld in ancient uh, Egyptian culture. Um, I believe uh, they're associated with uh, Sekhmet, uh, the goddess of healing, not the underworld. So, you know, the cat would help Imhotep heal, I guess. Um, and um, along that same line, of historical facts, um, they mention uh, that uh, Imhotep will bring uh, the ten plagues of Egypt back when he uh, arises from the dead. Well, uh, the period of um, Egypt that this is set in is set much before anything biblical. Um, And like the pyramids and everything, they were already there. And so this is actually set much before that and he would also not recognize the language of the slaves uh as he says uh when benny is trying to hold up all of his religious uh symbols um so all of that would not happen in the movie but you know it's movie magic so well i think why emotep is so scared of cats is i think he is kind of like me and he has a severe allergy to cats. And the advantage no, that I have that he doesn't is there's no like Allegra or, you know, Zizol or anything like that that can help him like, you know, stay 
he don't breathe clearly. You know, he would have been like wheezing, but super congested. Would have made trying to resurrect his long lost love more difficult when you're struggling to breathe. Uh, ancient Egyptian Benadryl or Claritin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I know when you're, I know for me, when I've tried to resurrect like lo- lost loved ones, like if my allergies are flaring up, like I'm just, I'm a fucking mess. Like I, I we got to do this later. I can't do it today. Eyes watering. <laughs> I can't read. I can't read from the, uh, you know, the books that I'm trying to use to resurrect people. I can't do it. I'm constantly blowing my nose. It's just fucking bad for everybody. So that, that might be why he freaked out when they, they brought the cat out. Mm. Do you, would you turn into like a giant uh, buff ball of uh, sand and run out the window if a cat showed up? No, I would just say, get that fucking cat out of here. I'm allergic to cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, the uh, uh, Another funny um goof i guess um are the hieroglyphs on um his name is uh Ardeth bay uh since we're uh we were discussing this earlier the leader of the Medjai, um on his forehead um are supposed to spell imhotep but um they are incorrect uh they actually spell uh imhotper uh, not in my desk. <laughs> at least it doesn't say Gary. That would been really weird. It's like a bad tattoo that you get. Like, this is the Chinese symbol for peace, and it's like something really embarrassing. <laughs> or they misspell regrets, and it's no, like, regrets. <laughs> um, the, uh, Actress who plays Anox in the Moon, whose name I uh, can't think of at the moment. Um, she actually was uh, nude in the beginning. Um, and she only had a few pieces of jewelry, a loincloth, and it took them four hours to apply all the makeup to her body. Um, that is uh, Patricia Velasquez, and I know her from uh, a show called The League. Um mm-hmm. It's a show about a bunch of uh, degenerates that play fantasy football. Me, so I kind of gravitate towards that since I'm one of them. And uh, she was the wife of one of the characters on the show. That's actually I remember her from that before I remembered she was in this. Oh, okay. Well, see, I couldn't think of her name. I I remember her first name was Patricia after you said it, but you know I couldn't. I just could not. I'm bad with names, especially like. Um, people that I don't normally watch in movies. I'll have to go and look up their name. IMDb is a lifesaver. Used to have one of those big video hound books or stuff like that, but now it's now it's IMDb. Yeah, or the uh I always reference the uh the Leonard Malton video guide. I oh, looked yeah, up a yeah. movie, it would have like a quick synopsis. It would give you like most of the major cast members and it would give you what Leonard Malton reviewed that and Speaking of him, like he kind of underrated. He kind of was like in that uh, the heyday of the movie critic. Like he's not nearly on the uh, the Siskel and Ebert level. But uh, who was the guy with the Gene Shalit? He reviewed mm-hmm. movies for the Today Show. He had like a real like walrusy Andy Reid style mustache. And I remember Leonard Maltz from Entertainment Tonight. But 
Mm. Not a lot of love for Leonard Malton. Mm. Should yeah. You know what? We maybe we should just change the show. Is like we'll call this going forward the Leonard Malton video guide. <laughs> and it'll never <laughs> have Leonard. <laughs> it'll never have Leonard Malton on it. <laughs> So you might get sued for that. Yeah, Leonard Malton. Maybe. Leonard Malton, I think, is probably 80 years old. He may not even know what podcasting is. I don't know. Then again, he might have like a fucking like like a top 50 like Apple podcast that I don't know about. So yeah. come yeah. at me, Leonard Malton. I yeah. fucking dare you. I mean, does he really have the time to? Probably not. No. He's writing the 2023 video guide right now as we speak, although kind of wasting his time. <laughs> um, my last fact uh, was actually uh, somewhat of an unsolved mystery until I actually did some of my research. Um, I was going to ask it as an unsolved mystery anyways. Uh, so the scene where... Um, they're getting Imhotep uh, ready for the afterlife uh, and they're burying him alive, essentially cutting out his tongue and wrapping him up and throwing the beetles in the sarcophagus. That was a horrifying um, scene. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is a really great scene when you're talking about this being a horror movie, especially the uh, the scene where he wakes up. Uh, I digress. Okay. So um, the... Uh, scene has him being wrapped in bandages and so he can't move his arms uh they're across his chest uh they wrap over his mouth and his nose can't breathe uh wrap over his eyes and when they open the, the sarcophagus up there's scratch marks and he has written a message and i'm thinking to myself okay yeah he's you know uh he's undead but he's not a he's not awake so how is he going to write that after the beetles consume him. And then also he's wrapped up. So how can he stretch the uh, sarcophagus? And so in researching this, I came across uh, a little blurb that um, the director had written that said the, uh, the beetles had eaten away the, the bandages. This is why he had hardly any bandages when he came out and he was able to scratch the message and the, the lid of the sarcophagus um, because he was immortal and he wasn't completely dead. Or he just had real sharp fingernails. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Let me just like sand these down to a fine tip. And cut through the bandages and then I can scratch my way through the sarcophagus and escape. Yeah, it's like the modern day, like the, um, the paper clip that gets you out of handcuffs. The sharp nail cuts through <laughs> bandages. Yep. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Uh, Casanova Frankenstein from uh, Mystery Men, mm -hmm. uh, Jeffrey Rush's character. That's his special power is having really sharp fingernails. You know, you're like the second person in like a month that's mentioned Mystery Men to me. And I remember I've only seen it one time and I didn't like it. So now I think it's almost, I have to revisit it now. Oh, it's a cult classic. Like the first time you see it, it, it kind of sucks, but it grows on you. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's I'll, I'll was revisit it. I'll, maybe I'll have to revisit it at some point. And if I like it, maybe we'll do it on the show. Okay. Um, any more uh, fun facts? Well, that, uh, that wraps it up for me. All right. 
Um, this category, the Martin Scorsese, this is Cinema Award for uh, the best scene of the movie. I mm-hmm. am at a loss. Like I could not pick one. Like there's so many really cool sequences in this. It was really tough for me to choose. Um, I guess if I'm going to choose one, I'm going to choose just because I'm a sucker for anything involving like uh, those old 40 style, what they call biplanes. Oh yeah. Yeah. The sequence in the desert where uh, Emotep summons the sand and creates this gigantic like sandstorm as and Rick and uh, shit. Uh, Havelock. I was, I was going to call him Winston, but I don't think we're on a first name basis. Um, I, I'm just a sucker for any, like those dog fighting sequences with those type of planes. So, and that's kind of the scene I always remember in the movie. Yeah. Plus it's a really cool yeah, like, like demo to like, if you've got like a home theater system, it's a really cool setup, especially with the 4k version. Cause it, I think it's redubbed in Dolby Atmos. So yeah. you kind of get the full effect with that. So that probably my favorite scene, but like, I don't feel great about it just because there's so many different ones. Like I even really like the scene near the beginning where, uh, Evie is like in the library mm-hmm. and she's trying to like, she's putting away books and then she just happens to try to reach too far for that one shelf right next to her. And then she ends up causing all the bookshelves to fall. Yeah. I love that scene. And then um, a little bit later, she walks into that uh, room with all the uh, sarcophagi and the, the ancient Egyptian artifacts. And then her brother, the way they introduce her brother is actually a uh, jump scare from a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> he jumps up with <laughs> Yeah, that was a cool sequence, too. And even um, like the scene on the boat, I dug that whole sequence, too. It just because you got to meet like everybody oh. that's going on this adventure. So. Yeah. I don't know, They're man. Indiana Jones. Yep. So I think I'm going to go with the biplane sequence in the desert, but I could easily be persuaded. Um, I really like the, uh, the rescue sequence, uh, from where they make it to Hamanoptra, um, all the way up until they're escaping from Hamanoptra. But, um, I also really dig the boat scene. Um, I just like the the fact that they use the entire set. Um, you know, it, it just it's one thing after another and it just like snowballs. Uh the fire starts. Uh, uh and they set it up really well because it starts really slow. You see the guys going towards the boat, uh, but then you get some character development in there. They're not quite on the boat yet. And then you get all the uh the subtle hints that they're on the boat, like the wet footprints and then you get the cool, um, funny interaction between uh, O'Connell and Benny. Um, and uh, then finally, like, shit hits the fan and everything goes to hell and they have to jump off the boat. And even at the very end, when when uh, they're all getting off safely, they're all jumping off the boat and swimming to shore. Um, I forget his character's name, but the, uh, the jailer, the Egyptian jailer guy, he's like, O'Connell, O'Connell, what do I do? It's like, stay here. I'll go for help. And they jumps off the boat. <laughs> He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> he jumps off. <laughs> yeah, that scene gets me too. Um, plus, I, love, I always love that scene. Uh, like, anytime, like, uh, like, dudes have, like, the uh, the dual, like, 
shoulder holsters and they've got guns. Like I always think that's just a really cool look. Yeah, it is. So I'm like, man, like, and he just comes out guns blazing. And of course, yeah, you know, the minute you see like a lamp involved in like, like the lamps getting shot, just, you know, it's going to happen. But I, I'm I'm perfectly, I am perfectly cool giving it to the boat sequence just because you kind of get to know some of the other people that are on uh, the boat. I mean, like it's nobody really of great consequence outside of, um, Mm -hmm. uh, I can't think of the character's name off the top of my head. I always remember the actor. He plays the douchebag professor back to school. Oh yeah. yeah. He wears that, Mm -hmm. that, um, what's the, the hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, he's a he's the dad in Jumanji too, I believe. Oh yeah, that's right. He is, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I always remember him giving Rodney Dangerfield a hard time. <laughs> like, dude, come on, man! Like, he's fucking. He's older than you. He likes to have fun. He just wants to better himself and get closer with his son. You don't have to be so much of a dickhead, right? But uh, yeah, I'm perfectly cool giving it to the boat scene. Uh, Rick O'Connell has a lot of, a, a lot of bullets, a lot of weapons <laughs> and he and coils that whole fucking rap. Like Jesus, this guy's coming prepared, but yeah, he's I mean, also seen some movie shit movie. there too. So he's, uh, he's got some PTSD from Hamanoptera. Right. All right. Well, like I said, we'll give it to the boat sequence, but. I don't feel great about it because, like I said, there's so many really cool sequences in this movie. Like, not one really like outshines the other. It just it's really fun going on the journey from one action sequence to well, the other. This is one of the rare movies that I've uh, seen that does not have a slow moment. Like maybe when they get back to to Egypt or or to Cairo rather, um, but even then, like it jumps from. Uh, you know, a little bit of a slow pace to a really fast pace. So it, there's really never a dull moment. Mm, yeah. Like watching it uh, a couple days ago, it's, I think it runs a little over two hours, but that two hours mm. flies right by. Yeah, for sure. Cause I was looking at my phone like, Jesus, it's feels like it's been 45 minutes and it's like over. Yeah. But give it to the boat sequence. Don't feel great about it just because there's, so many great, this is like having like back in the eighties. If you're a basketball fan, this is like having to vote for the MVP between Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's going to be tough to choose, but I think, well, at the time Jordan, well, never mind. bad analogy, <laughs> but it's like three, like ha- three players having like just incredible seasons trying to vote for the MVP. Um, the Andy Dufresne get busy living or get busy dying award for the best or most quotable line of the movie. Uh, what do you got? So the most quotable, I think the most iconic line from this movie is not my favorite line. It's a cool line, but it's not my favorite. Death is only the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think, but there are so many lines that I, I just absolutely love. Like, uh, uh, the Hey O'Connell, look who's got all the horses. Hey Benny, look who's on the wrong side of the river. 
Yeah, I dug that one too. That one still cracks me up. Uh, the whole uh, you know exchange between uh, O'Connell and the the jailer on the boat, like, stay here, I'll go get help, or uh, anything Benny says, like, <laughs> well, think about my children. You don't have any children. I might someday. Oh, he's uh, such I a slimeball. He is. And regardless of how much of a slime ball he is, I noticed that at the end, O'Connell tries to actually save him. Like, come on, come on, let's go. And, you know. Greed gets the better just, of him. Yeah. Um, I think that is a little bit of a testament to O'Connell's character, too, because, like, you know, Benny abandoned him, like, what, four times in the span of one movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many lines to choose from. I don't know if I can choose uh, just one. Maybe, I don't know. I really like You Must Not Read from the Book. It's just a, a cool line because they have like the um, the wind blow and like the fire kind of uh, dim a little bit. And I don't know. What, what's your favorite line? Persuade me. <laughs> well, I really liked Evelyn's monologue when she's drunk. And she's talking oh, about she's not like an adventurer, you know, like she's a librarian. Like I, I really thought that was a cool line. Um, but the one that always gets me, it's not very quotable. It's not even really that memorable. But when um, you keep calling him the jailer, I'm just gonna look him up now real quick while I'm thinking of it. But uh, the sequence where O'Connell's about to get hung, mm-hmm. and he asks him if he has any last mm-hmm. request. And, you know, like usually in a movie, somebody's just going to like have some very like quick witted, you know, like line where he's kind of insulting the person that's, you know, going is responsible for him being in that situation or whatever. But uh, O'Connell just says, uh, loosen the knot, let me go. Because how about you loosen these knots and let me go? I was like, damn, that's like. Why don't more action heroes like when they're in that kind of situation? Why don't they just come right out and say what they want? Yeah. Uh, let me see here. I'm gonna look up this. It's gonna bug me until I f- what this guy's name is. Uh, the t- uh, he's actually the warden, warden Gad Hassan. Okay. I don't think they say his name in this, do they? Or if you do, it's real quick. They they refer to him as our smelly friend a lot. (laughs) We should just call him that. Our smell, the smelly friend. (laughs) Which I think every, (laughs) which I think every circle of friends has one. Um, I also like, uh, I'm going to throw this one out there just because I like it and I've used it before, but I, I really like it uh, when Benny says it's better to be on the right hand of the devil than in his path. I don't know. I just, I really like that quote. Uh, that one too. I will also throw in uh, when oh, Rick is uh, there on the boat and he says he always gambles with his life, not his money. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a fucking yearbook quote. Yeah. <laughs> And if I would have graduated in 99, I would have totally put that in there. Oh, man, that would have been a good one. Always gamble with my life. Yeah. Actually, I think I'm going to go with that one because it does sound like a, a yearbook quote you'd read in a Justin's yearbook. 
Yeah. <laughs> Justin's, Justin's Simpsons reference for yeah. you. All right, we're going with that one then. Okay. Most quotable line in the movie. Feel feel yeah. free to use that. Uh it's a very cool cool line. Um uh Paul Walker, I said forget about a cut award for the most unintentionally hilarious or bad line of the movie. There really wasn't anything that like I think you and I seen a movie this weekend that had an unintentionally hilarious line more than like we caught yeah. one in the mummy, so <laughs> And uh, I, yeah, I think man, we, I great. think we might be changing the name of this award to that. <laughs> I like, I like that idea. Yeah. So man, next I week, so next week, look out for a uh, same category, new name. Um, the McLovin award for the best or scene stealing performance of the movie. Um, I know kind of tossed around you and I were even discussing, uh, on Friday that, most of the people in this movie have enough screen time to where they almost don't qualify for this award because yeah. essentially it's a very small cast. Uh, Patricia Velasquez doesn't really count because she didn't really, she's kind of like the MacGuffin of the movie for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, the Vaz isn't here too much. Yeah. He's uh, the main antagonist. Yeah. John Hanna. Uh, He's one of those guys that sometimes I found him very delightful. There's other points in the movie I thought he was kind of annoying. But he's in it too much. Um, Obviously, we can't give it to Brendan Fraser or Rachel Weitz. Um, I'm nominating Bernard Fox as Captain Winston Havelock. And the only reason I do that is he gives gives me Randy Quaid from Independence Day vibes. Hey, boys, I'm back. Yeah, like he just kind of has that death wish, and it really it gives me, it gives me uh, Russell Case vibes. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And Winston's such a funny character, like just walking around drunk all the time. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of sad in a way, but the way that they portray him is like he's a war hero. He's been through it, and now he's just living his best life in Cairo. And but. Uh, on the inside, he's just like, he misses his friends and he didn't get to die in a blaze of glory like he wanted. That's what he wants. So, kind of yeah. Makes him yeah. Yeah. And he's only in the movie. Like, I think screen time, he's probably in the movie for like maybe five minutes. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with, uh, with giving it to him because, uh, um, I can't pronounce his last name. We have a really bad habit of pronouncing names on this movie, uh, incorrectly, but. <laughs> Uh, Oded Bear, I think it's yeah, you, you got it right. Perfect. Okay. Um, I I was gonna give it to him uh, specifically because he's he's not in it a whole lot. He's in it more than 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 Winston is. Uh, but yeah, he is. Um, he uh, he's a really good actor. I like him in everything um, that I've seen him in. He does a really good job of uh, you know being that mysterious guy at the beginning that you're not sure if you like him or not. Um, and then he kind of morphs into another hero. Oh no. When um, I seen him, I'm like, this guy's, this guy's pretty cool. I think, I think he's got more to do later. And I think, I'm, I think I'm going to be pro. Uh, we don't even, we don't even know his name. Really? Yeah. They, they never say his name in the first one. You get to know him in the second one a little bit better. 
Yeah, they, I, like you, I think you were saying like they only uh, put his name in the credits, and even then, even know his actual name. But um, yeah, I, I really like his performance in this. I like his performance in other things, and um, after he uh, he started to make it big, he started doing like some charity work for children, which kind of gives him bonus points. Um, but I'll throw I'll throw an honorable mention out to him and and give it to Winston just because I think Winston's in the movie a little bit less and he's a cool character to throw in there to um, you know give a little bit of com- uh, like a comic relief um, but also help our uh, our friends out when they need it and he get he finally gets to uh, do what he wanted buying a blaze of glory so all right yep. Um- uh, I also, uh, Oded Fair was in uh, Deuce Bigelow. He's the one that sends uh, yeah. Deuce Bigelow on the path to being a man whore. <laughs> he's like he's the Obi Wan Kenobi of uh, himbos. Turn off your targeting What's wrong? I don't know. You got a, you got any thoughts on Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo? Uh, you know. It's it's part of that era of movies that uh you know what it's it's a good movie for what it is. That's my that's my thoughts on it. Because you don't get uh comedies like that anymore. So I it's the only Rob Schneider movie that I can like it's the only thing Rob Schneider's in for more than like five minutes that I can actually tolerate because I am just not a fan of his at all. I just don't find it to be very funny, but I, I get a kick out of this movie and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I really, really, really like Eddie Griffin a lot. He cracks me up. So him being in it kind of gets uh bonus points. Plus the concept is just fucking crazy, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's in that too. That's actually this and uh deuce Bigler, like the two things I think he's probably most known for. He was in uh resident evil as well. Oh, was he? Those are, yeah, those are semi uh, well known. There, it's it's a divided fan base on whether or not those are good. <laughs> I I don't think I've seen all of them. I think I've only seen like a a couple of them, and I don't think I've seen them in order. I think I've seen like two and like the fourth or fifth one. And it might have been just because I come across yeah. them on. Uh, they've made five, right? Yeah, I think there's five. Maybe there's six. I know I I, I I've not seen the first people. one so. No, the first one is okay. I think that um, it being a video game movie uh, kind of gives it that, um, that you stink. know video game fan base. Yeah, and and the video game fan base goes to see it and they're like, well, this definitely sucks, but uh, it was good for an action movie. I'm just give it that. Although this is not the Resident Evil podcast, it is the Mummy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, we went down a, a road real quick with Deuce Bigelow. Who would have thunk that you're listening to a Mummy episode and then Deuce Bigelow, male Gigolo, gets brought up? Yeah, uh, yeah. We should uh, bring in how I think this is a uh, extended uh, by uh, you know um, proximity uh, Christmas movie, but well, we'll save it for. <laughs> We'll save it for unsolved <laughs> mysteries or something because I don't have any. So you can just fucking you could cook for a couple minutes on that one. Um, new category. 
the IMDb Drug Dealer Number Two Award for the actor or actress you've seen in a movie, but you don't know their name. Uh, I'm giving this to Eric Avarius, Doctor Terrence Bay. He's uh, Rachel White's boss. Probably see him in a bunch of stuff. I, according to uh, IMDb, he was featured in Independence Day, which I don't even remember him in that. But I do remember I him from remember. Stargate. And I think he was in a Seinfeld episode. Reco- very yeah. recognizable face. Like you see him, you know, like, yeah, I've seen that guy in a bunch of stuff. I just, you don't know who it is. Yeah. Hence why we're calling I'm, it the, I, we're calling this the IMDb drug dealer yeah. number two award. Cause that's usually reserved for the, the actors that play those roles. I wholeheartedly agree. He's, he's one of those guys that has a very recognizable face. Um, I think I've seen him in more than just that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that's the essence of the entire um, category is you're not going to remember anyways until you see him. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've recognized this guy in quite a lot. Um, and I'm sure it's more than, than what we've mentioned, but I, I do remember a couple of different times. I was like, Oh, it's, it's, it's him. Okay. Yeah. I remember him. Uh, let's see. I'm going through his IMDb. Just a couple of ones that uh, jump off the screen here. Uh, he was in Encino Man. I believe he ran the convenience store when he told Polly Shore no, no wheezing the juice. Uh, he was in Color of Night as the cab driver. Uh, I don't really remember a lot from Color of Night outside of the fact that uh, seeing that in a movie theater, you get see Bruce Willis's dong up close, and that's something I never want to see again. Uh, he was in Mr. Deeds. He was in Planet of the Apes, The 13th Warrior, uh, Daredevil. Uh, uh, that's probably what I saw in Charlie Wilson's War. And... Uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to be a, a category in the movie. Just uh, the guy or gal that you've seen in tons of stuff, but you don't know who they are. We're going to help you fill in the blanks. We're going to tell you who that person is. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty much it came down to him and uh, Odette Fair, but I know. Uh, yeah. I know uh, he had a cup of coffee for a little bit where like, you know, him being as handsome as he is kind of got him some publicity. Uh, Eric Avari, strong character actor, is not ever going to be considered for uh, People's Sexiest Man Alive Award. No, never. Never. I I hate to break that to you. You have about as much of a chance of winning that as I do. But you know what award he is good for? Is the IMBD. Uh, drug dealer number two award. That's right. He is our inaugural winner. And actually, maybe down the road, if we can't come up with a better name, maybe we'll just change that to the Eric Avari. Who's who's that guy award? Perfect. There you go. <laughs> um, unsolved mysteries of the movie. I really didn't have any, simply because this is one of those movies I really don't think too much about. It's just kind of it's my wheelhouse. It's kind of like a mindless, big, dumb, fun action movie. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't really think about like shit like that. I like, I wonder like what happens or, you know, like why did they do that? So I don't really have anything, but you had an interesting theory about uh, this being a Christmas movie. I'm going to let you shoehorn <laughs> that into this. So out this of the kitchen doors. It's not an unsolved mystery per se, but just uh, by relation, this could be considered a Christmas movie. And uh, uh, everyone's uh, free to disagree with me because even I'm skeptical on this. But I'm sure a lot of people um, probably will. Like He has no idea what the hell he's talking about. The Mummy was originally played by Boris Karloff. And um, Stephen Summers wanted this to be a uh, a love letter to that movie. Um, and uh, Boris Karloff uh, is not only the um, uh, quintessential mummy of Universal, but he is also the quintessential voice of Christmas being the Grinch. And so the mummy uh, being the antagonist of this movie in some ways is the Grinch of Egypt. All right, there you go. <laughs> okay. It's it's really grasping at straws, but you know what? It, it it's funny enough to where we could have made something out of it. Um, did you have no, any I just want to see a, a Grinch kind of the mummy, but yeah. <laughs> Did you have any actual unsolved mysteries for the movie or was it just um, so the um unsolved mystery that I had was answered by my uh by my um fun fact. Uh you know, how how is he gonna scratch that into the sarcophagus uh if he's all bandaged, but um, you know, the bugs ate away everything, so it kinda made sense. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of uh, unsolved mysteries in this one. It's it's very fantastical. It's basically uh dead things coming back to life, so there's not a lot of uh you know, if you can't chalk it up to movie magic, it's the actual magic in the movie. So, and then yeah. I, I think once you get too into the weeds with this, it kind of ruins the fun of it. Right. There's some movies where you just, it's really, and I think this is why this has so much replay values. The fact that like, you don't really have to sit and think like they lay it out. They lay it out for you very simply in the beginning of the movie. Like this dude was, did something he wasn't supposed to. They threw a curse on him. Don't go fucking around his tomb. Yeah, you unleash this guy. Bad things are going to happen. It's like they almost tempt people to do it by burying him around the city with all this treasure. Yeah, it's like, well, we're going to bury him in the city where all the gold's kept so that, you know, everybody's going to want to go there. Yeah, greedy assholes thousands of years later are going to come and try to find this treasure and all and mistakenly just awaken this fucking demon mummy this demon priest <laughs> with untold power and immortality right so yeah that's why <laughs> there's no unsolved mystery for this one just like eh, don't really want to ruin the fun of it like i don't want to sit there and like get analytical with it and then like this kind of this kind of sucks now yeah plus i don't know enough about egyptian history like I know a little bit about it from what I remember in school, but like I wouldn't call myself uh, an expert on the uh, the subject matter, so I didn't really want to get into the weeds too much. And 
Yeah. Start asking I mean, a bunch of my, questions. Uh, my my cat fact was pretty much the only thing that you know I had Egyptian history wise, uh, uh, but you know I I don't remember a whole lot of Egyptian history either. But you don't want to compare this to Egyptian history because you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> it's, it's nowhere near close to Egyptian history, more than likely. So why bother? Right. Um. The most 1999 moment of the movie. I uh, can't really give this award out because this movie came out in 1999, but it's a period piece set in the 1920s. So can't really, you yeah. know, they're not using AOL, you know, or uh, CenturyLink to get on the internet to find out shit in this movie. It's Yeah, I mean, there are some uh, some 90s movie tropes uh, that you can point out, like, um, there, man, it gets me every single time when, when Benny takes pieces of the gold out of the, uh, out of the bag and then it, it has that little shimmer or shine to it that they added in after the packs that you can totally tell they did because, yeah. And then he puts it back and they go through that whole rigmarole at the end and then, uh, Rick and Evie are on that camel and they're walking into the sunset and it has that same shine to it. Oh, is it like lens like, flare, is it? Or yeah, it's like a little glimmer of the sun on the gold. Oh yeah. They yeah. Okay, we'll give it to that. <laughs> uh I would say that uh people are actually using books to get information and not like on their phones. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it was 1923, so we'll have to, you know. People actually read? Yes, there are librarians in this movie. What's a library? Yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's not just a location that you can go to to get this movie for free. Right. There are physical water. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there are actually books that are bound by cardboard or like paper that have words on them. Yeah. And if you want to read them in the dark, there's not a night mode. You have to actually like turn on the light to read them. Remember book lights? I do remember those. (laughs) Put them on your book. Well, I know they used to have that, Um, uh, that overhead, um, that little like clip you could put on like uh, your bedpost. It's shining yeah, down there yeah. too. I yeah. had one of those when I read comic books a lot. There you go. Uh, the I don't know what restaurant we're going to go with uh, today. Uh, the Golden Corral, Golden Corral with over forty menu choices on their buffet, including desserts. They also have a breakfast bar. So if you come with an appetite and you're looking for a place to go to quench your hunger. May I suggest our friends at the Golden Corral open seven days a week. Anytime you want to get your belly stuff, please go see the Golden Corral for the uh, the Golden Are Corral. You so feel you like you're one of the undead. <laughs> you are. Do you feel like a mummy? <laughs> if you have been asleep for a thousand years. And the first thing on your mind is where can I go to get oven roasted chicken, succulent brisket, or just the best prime rib the side of the Mississippi? Gold Corral 
is your location. And you don't need a map to find it. They are available all over the great United States. I'm guessing there's probably one in your town. Golden Corral, the hottest take of the movie. I am going to say that if you swapped out Brendan Fraser for Harrison Ford, and this was Mm -hmm. an Indiana Jones movie, that this would be the second best Indiana Jones sequel. Mm, I really like uh, the Last Crusade. Well, the Last Crusade obviously is like the goat. There's no touch. That's the Last Crusade is probably. I'm going to say it right now. Probably the best third movie in a, a series ever made. <laughs> but outside of that, outside of that, the mummy. Um, you, yeah, I. You know what? I agree with you. It might be a hot take. And I don't know if this movie uh, works as well with Harrison Ford. Um, I don't think it does. He can, he can be funny, you know, um, in his own way. In the Indiana Jones movies, there's a lot of funny moments in those. But I don't think it it has the same kind of tone as Brendan Fraser does in, in this. Harrison Ford but, would play this too seriously. And no. there's where the movie doesn't work. But I do agree with you that this would be the second best Indiana Jones sequel if it were Harrison Ford and it were Indiana Jones. And it's kind of around the same time period too, like a little bit earlier than he would be like 10 years younger. Yeah. This would have been like early <laughs> Indiana Jones mm. or it could even been like a prequel with Henry Jones. Yeah. I don't know if Henry that's really a hot Jones. take though, because uh, a lot of people are divided on the temple of doom. Um, I like it, but it's easily it's subpar compared to Raiders and Last Crusade. Yeah. It's, um, but better than what they've put out recently. Yeah, I was going to say it's grown on me because of what they've put out recently. But um, yeah, no, it's the weakest of the original three. I think. Um, but. Second hot take. The Mummy is the best pop. Like, keep in mind, there's a lot of great movies that came out in '99. The Mummy mm-hmm. is the best popcorn movie of 1999. Okay. Like, not it's not American Beauty. It's not you know, Fight Club. You know, like the not films, but like movies. Best popcorn movie mm-hmm. of '99, and that includes the Matrix. Matrix. Up against the Matrix. The Matrix was in '99. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I'm going to rewatch one of them, I'll probably choose the Mummy before I choose the Matrix. The Matrix is a very uh, philosophical and very cerebral. This and and the Mummy is more of a I'm going to watch it and have fun, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like the, the definition of a popcorn movie. Like okay, I've got my refreshments. Let's do this thing. Right, and you don't have to I pay attention. You don't have to pay attention to still enjoy it. Like there's sometimes like, you know, watching like the mummy, I could drift off and like check my phone for something for a minute. And like, I'm not lost. Whereas I'm watching like fight club, like, okay, like I missed probably a crucial plot point. I have to go back and rewind it and watch it again. Um, You know, 
I know this is the hot take section. I'm agreeing with you a lot, but there's probably a reason why why we're friends. We share a lot of the same opinions about things. So these are probably hot takes, but I'm agreeing with you on both of these things. So for the record, I, I agree wholeheartedly. They're, they are my hot takes as well. I do have another hot take, though. Do you have any more? No, that that's, that's it. And actually, the uh, the uh, Popcorn Movie 99 just came up to the top of my head. It's probably not the best take. Like, we're not... We're not Stephen A. Smith, so I mean, we'll get to that at some point. But, but by all means, I'm curious to hear yours. When I think uh, the mummy, the character, uh, the old uh, universal um, villain, monster, whatever you want to call him, um, this iteration of him is the scariest monster in monster movies um up to this point are you are you saying like in the universal stable of movie monsters um yeah uh so like um the wolfman you know, dracula wolf, yeah he is by far the scariest and maybe maybe even extend that even further i can't think of any monsters uh maybe the thing but I can't think of any monsters that are scarier than, you know, an immortal, uh, undead, crusty, gooey, um, horny mommy that can suck you. He's horny because yeah. he wants to be back with the woman he loves. So, you know, when you were talking about the uh, Golden Corral thing, I could just, I, I imagined Imhotep waking up and like, damn, I'm hungry. <laughs> going to, going to Golden Corral. And just imagine him like you know, that scene where he like opens up his mouth and it gets super big. He's shoveling like like eight plates of fucking like those uh like the prime rib just into his mouth. It's like watching a fucking Scooby Doo, like an episode of Scooby Doo when they eat them gigantic sandwiches. It's just like watching him shove like a whole fight. Oh. oh man. Uh yeah, that that's what popped into my head, but that you know, funny images aside, uh, he is uh, like you know, very formidable, very scary, very well thought out. Has a really good backstory. I think he's one of the uh, scariest and best monsters up until this point in cinema. Yeah, I, I he was a very cool villain. Um, and I think that might be why the third movie doesn't work as well too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I can see that because uh, like I love the old Universal movie monsters, but it's a different kind of scary. It's more like the yeah. the mood creates the tension, which creates the the scares. Whereas this one's kind of like done with, you know, what makes movies great, like using the special mm-hmm. effects can like kind of make you know something <laughs> that seems like it can't happen happen. So. I'd agree with that. Plus, like, Arnold Vosloo is just super fucking cool anyways. Yes. But, like, I think they, they, they do a really good job of creating the tension with the mood as well, because, like, when, uh, I can't remember the character's name, when he drops his glasses, the first victim, and yeah. he, uh, you know, he gets stepped on, and then, like, he can barely see, and it's really blurry, and it's dark, and then all you hear is, like, the mummy walking around, and then he, they, like, insinuate that he's behind him but 
you don't see him and then they cut away and then you just hear the scream. I think that's really cool. That's a really good way of uh, movie making. And uh, then later on when he's in the apartment and Benny is uh, explaining to him, like, you, you know, Prince Imhotep thanks you for your hospitality and for your eyes and for your tongue, but more is needed. And like, I, I think that's really uh, creepy too, just setting the mood. So, so cool. Love that. Yeah, it's a good take. I, I totally agree with it. When you said uh, old dude lost his glasses, I don't know why I was thinking of my girl when Thomas J. <laughs> lost his. Can't see without his glasses. I'm going to catch shit for that one later on, guarantee it. Um, the <laughs> Hall of Fame plaque. Uh, this is if uh, a certain uh, actor, director is being inducted into a movie hall of fame. Would this movie be featured on their hall of fame plaque? Uh, Brendan Fraser. Now this one I think is a little, could be debatable a little bit because he did just win an Oscar. So yeah. I, mean, I think that, um, you know, while it's not his, uh, his best movie, uh, award wise, um, neither is George of the jungle. But I, I think that aside from the whale, those two are what people are going to remember him for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're the most widely seen, anyways. Um, I mean, not everybody's seen Monkey Bone. So <laughs> I don't even remember Monkey Bone. Um, uh, he played an animator that uh, drew a monkey that was an allegory for uh, male genitalia, and then he switches places with him uh, when he goes into a coma. God, that sounds fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. See, for but, me... Yeah, I think that... Go ahead. Yeah, I think that, you know, Mummy probably might make the Hall of Fame for him. Yeah, I would say yes. Simply because uh, this kind of spawned a franchise. It's his... By far, his biggest hit was the two Mummy movies. Um, yeah, he did win an Oscar, but like you said, though, when uh, you write his obituary, and uh, please, like, I'm not wishing, like, I want Brendan Fraser to live for quite a long time. I, I huge fan, huge fan, but I think they'll lead it off with like the star of the Mummy movies, and I think this is mm-hmm. what I. I would put like Academy Award winning actor who best known for the mummy f- series. Yeah. Well, Phil, don't mention the uh, Oscar for um, the whale, but they're going to, you know, lay heavily into the mummy. Yeah. The picture would be like, it would be like him from the mummy. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm saying, yeah, you're saying, yeah. For that one, um, what about Rachel White's? I would say no. No, she's done plenty of other movies that are uh, more notable. She's also she's um, won an Academy Award, mm-hmm. the Constant Gardener. She's kind of become more of a prestige actress later on in her career. Not to say that she's bad in this movie in any sense. She's one Although of the she's best really good, so. but I think she's been nominated. Yeah two or three times for an Academy Award. 
and she's won yeah. at least one. I know she's won one for the Constant Gardener. Sorry, I'm trying to find her uh, IMDb real quick. I'm still on the uh, My Girl. I was looking to see if I, – because I haven't seen it in a while. I was just trying to see if Thomas J. lost his glasses before he gets stung by the bees. But uh, let's see. She has received an Academy Award, a BAFTA, a Golden Globe, a Lawrence Olivier Award. And let's see. She has been nominated twice for Academy Awards. And she's in the MCU. Yeah, Daniel Craig's her uh, baby daddy. I don't think that would be on her. I don't think that would be on her. Uh, and she was also married to Darren Arnofsky for a little while, too. Um, so I'm going to say no. Um, what about the Vaz? Yeah. And the only reason I say that is because the other movies that he's in um, are either too old um, so a lot of people don't remember him in those or they're not as, um, focused on him, uh, currently. So I think that this one has the right amount of focus on him. He's the main antagonist. Um, and it came out in the right, in the right time period. So. Um, I was going to have, uh, Steven Summers, the director, but mm-hmm. looking at his IMDB, he's not that accomplished. So this is an easy yes, simply because um, his IMDb basically consists of The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, Van Helsing, which that movie's a turd. He did the G.I. <laughs> Joe Rise of Cobra. He did the live-action Adventures of Huck Finn. He did the live-action Jungle Book, the first one that they did with Jason Lee, not the one that kicked off the Disney remaking all their animated classics. And he did deep rising, which is a kind of a cool, like cult classic horror movie, in the late nineties. But I don't really think, uh, he warrants much consideration in this. So I, since you are, uh, a, a musical score nerd, as I am. Jerry Goldsmith, the composer. Um, L- let me just rattle, let me rattle off some of his his works before you uh, answer yes or no. He did five okay. of the Star Trek movies. He did the first three Rambos. Mm-hmm. Logan's Run. The OG Planet of the Apes. Okay. Chinatown. The Omen, Alien, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Hoosiers, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Air Force One, L.A. Confidential, The Mummy, and the 1992 Sean Connery classic Medicine Man. One of those that you listed, a few that jumped out at me like Poltergeist, where the score is excellent. 
However, there's a couple of them that jump out at me. And and I I know I'm gonna get hate for this. Star Trek isn't well known for their scores. Oh well, they no, have a good no theme. one's gonna give you too much shit for that. Um but I don't think that uh, and Jerry Goldsmith uh, did a fine job on on Star Trek, but they're not going to be as cinematic as the mummy, mm. if that makes sense. Um, so we're talking about like, you know, uh, big booming orchestra, uh, choir, um, you know, um, that said though, man, poltergeist and he won an Oscar for the omen and the omen. Yeah, That would be the one I would choose. Okay, so what I'm going to say is um, probably the Omen would be his his Hall of Fame. Um, he would also probably, I think he did some work on um, Disney's Mulan as well, which was okay. The Mummy though would probably be a close second, really Followed by Poltergeist. Yeah. I think the mummy is a fantastic score. It's it's a good one, even mm-hmm. over Alien and Chinatown. Yeah, I think so. Um, again, great movies, not not very much. I mean, maybe Alien more than Chinatown, but they're not like they're not remembered for their score so much as the the content in them uh, visually. Alien would be up there. Yeah, I think uh, the mummy probably passes on this one, but it gets really close. Okay, um, that's all I have for the Hall of Fame plaque. Um, I did have a few burning questions, but I think we kind of answered them throughout the episode. Like I had, um, why didn't Brendan Fraser do more action movies? But you said that he had injured himself on the uh, the third Mummy movie, and he kind of had to take a yeah, kind of had to cut back. It's just a shame too, because I think I know like there's been talk recently of uh, before Harrison Ford shut it down of like them remaking or rebooting the Indiana Jones series with like a different actor. I think I think Brendan Fraser could have maybe not done Indiana Jones, but I think he could have been like maybe been the next Harrison Ford, like yeah, kind of does the everyman action movies. I. I but I kind of wonder, like, well, man, like the Mummy movies were, for the most part, were pretty successful. Even the third one, I know, was kind of a modest hit, and he just kind of never really did anything action oriented after that. I mean, I know he did. He's on that show Doom Patrol now, or he was when yeah. it was a show, but he really was just more of a voice character in that. So I was just kind of wondering why he didn't really capitalize on that. Which yeah. I'm gonna check his IMDB here real quick. Yeah. Um after that he kind of was he did more uh well he did that journey to the center of the earth. Yeah, he did do that. Uh, I don't think he did any of the things from that one though. Right. But I mean, yeah, he started kind of venturing into like he was in Crash, which 
how that movie won Best Picture still beyond me. But yeah, he didn't really do much in the action universe. He did. Uh, let's see. He did Bedazzled. Oh, yeah, there's Monkey Bone, The Quiet American, Crash, Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, Furry Vengeance, which I'm sure he's probably regretting that one. But yeah, he didn't really do any action stuff after that. And I think it might have been just typecasting, too. I know certain actors don't want to be typecast in a certain, like as a, like in a certain genre. It seems like he tried to go the Bruce Willis route where he tried to mix action with prestige stuff, but then like the stuff he was in didn't really take off. Cause like I was just looking at some of those and like most of those were pretty notorious bombs. Yeah. Um, he's had some bad luck with some uh, casting in, in movies after the mummy. Mm. I mean, he did he did, uh, you know, he had pretty much a, a solid run in the 90s with uh, um, Blast from the Past and The Mummy, uh, Air of the Jungle, Airheads, uh, yeah, Dudley Do-Right. Um, uh, yeah, he had a really good uh, run there, but then it just kind of falls off after The Mummy, uh Mummy, uh, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Like he did, it looks like he did Journey to the Center of the Earth at the same time as he did uh, the Mummy Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see anything else of note afterwards. Right, it's kind of. And then he has his resurgence now with the uh, you know Titans and Doom Patrol and um, the Whale. And he was uh, he's in Killers of the Flower Moon too. Oh yeah, which uh, so. I have still yet to see. Yeah. Um, well, you you tried. I tried today. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, we answered the burning questions segment throughout uh, the episode, so don't really have much uh, on there. Uh, before we wrap this up, uh, one last new category. I'm going to give this a test run. Uh, the Finding Forster, you're the man now, dog award for the biggest life lesson taken from this movie. And I would say the biggest life lesson that I took from the mummy is don't go fucking around with shit that could cause the world to end. You could simplify that even more. Don't read books that you found buried in ancient Egyptian tombs. Yep. Don't do that. Leave them there. Don't do that either. <laughs> well, now it'd be a Kindle. <laughs> Somebody'd find a book buried in like the sand. Like, I wonder if this is on. Uh, if I can get this in the Amazon bookstore. It's an actual Amazon inside of something Amazonian uh, pyramid. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. No, it would be. Uh, what did Barn- Barnes and Noble had an e-reader? The Nook. Yeah. Somebody just dust <laughs> off an old nook and it's like, oh shit, what's in here? That's what I want to see. I want to see a futuristic mummy movie with a mummy from like 1999. Yeah, like a 2006, <laughs> like they, yeah, the, the book of the dead's on a nook. Somebody finds it, they have to find a charger for it. 
it's it's the key instead of the key it's the charger i'm surprised they didn't pull that stunt in the the tom cruise one i'm surprised they didn't uh try to do the monster verse with uh this mummy movie i i don't know why either i mean I, I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to incorporate all the old classic versions of these movies into like some yeah. big cinematic. And they were going to have them all tied together at some point. But uh, I think with uh, The Mummy, I think because I know they were supposed to do a Jekyll and Hyde with Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. which he actually, yeah. spoiler alert, he appears in The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Uh, but yeah, they just never really tied them together. Cause I know they did the invisible man. I want to say they did mm-hmm. one more, but the invisible man is actually very solid. So, all right. Well, um, Adam, if you don't have anything else to add, uh, pleasure as always, um, yeah. be sure to follow us on the socials. I'll leave the show links in the show description below. If you like what you heard here today or any of our previous episodes, please take a brief moment, leave us a five-star review on Apple. Uh, We also can get reviews on Spotify. So if you listen to us on Spotify, be sure to rate the show on Spotify. Uh, Have any questions, the email address, you can contact us. If you have any questions, concerns, you want to complain about how bad our show sucks, how awesome it is, or anything that's on your mind movie related, please shoot us an email at the couch potato podcast gmail.com. So until next week, we will talk at you later, friends.